thousands of pages later and 14 years and a marriage and um, a beautiful relationship. Here we are today, though she's not here with me today. Um, she's always with me. She was none of the things I was looking for in a woman and all of the things that I needed. What it does is, is it motivates you every single day to be the best person you can possibly be. So I may not deserve you today, but I work all day long to make sure I deserved you for today and I have to do it again tomorrow. Hi, welcome back to This Person I Met. The voice you've just heard is from Mr. Adam Grant. We are so honored to have him back for a second interview sharing his loving relationship with his wife, Katie. If you're with us on the first episode, you know that Mr. Grant served a jail sentence for 27 years for an armed bank robbery. And now, he's the director of A Brighter Way, an organization in Washington County serving to help people who are formerly incarcerated. Today, we invite you to join us to hear this unique, and beautiful and heartwarming story of Mrs. and Mr. Grant. So how did the two of you come to know each other? Um, it's an interesting, I guess it wouldn't be the most romantic thing, but it is an idea of how fate plays into some things. I should say that my wife is from Lansing, I'm from Lansing, and we met while I was in prison in Kenross, clear in the UP. Um, her cousin came to prison, and he was many of the things you don't want to be when you come to prison. He was, you know, smaller, um, homosexual, effeminate, and naive in a lot of ways. And so he didn't think he was going to be able to make it through his prison sentence and he had a serious suicide attempt uh, before he came to prison his whole family rallied around him because they didn't think that he was going to survive it um, and so katie being his cousin was and being the sweetheart that she is um, was really there for him a lot so she heard a lot of the stories of dan coming to classes and my nickname, my nickname at the time was Taz, so it was Taz said this, and Taz said that, and so eventually she wanted to know who this Taz person was, and wanted him to know that I had profoundly affected their whole family. So she wrote me a letter telling me how I'd affected her life, how I'd affected her mother's life, how I'd affected her aunt's life, um, and how everybody had pivoted from, will Dan survive? to what will he do when he comes home. I understood the concept of ripple effects. I knew I had effects on the people that I was working with. I didn't realize those ripples reached beyond the fences. Um, so it was really interesting when, when she told me that the, the impact that it had on me. And I wanted to write her back um, and hopefully give her that kind of impact as well, telling her what a big deal it was. And she waited about a month to write again because she wasn't looking to get a pen pal situation. I still had 11 years left to do at the time. Our letters kind of touched each other in such a way that we had to um, explore it and see what happened. And um, 
thousands of pages later and 14 years and a marriage and um, a beautiful relationship. Here we are today, though she's not here with me today. Um, she's always with me. People used to ask us that. They would ask, what do you talk about on visits? Because like, especially in the visits, visits um, in Ken Ross, they, she'd have to drive four and a half hours one way. So it's nine hours round trip to come see me. She would come on a Thursday where we could have, I think six hours of visits. Friday, we could have six hours of visits. Saturday, we had 12 hour visits. And then she'd leave part way, way through Sunday. So we'd get another four or five. And people would ask, what do you talk about? And the simple answer is everything. I mean, anything we could think of. I was involved in a lot of classes. I was involved in a lot of educational programs. So we would talk about those things. We would talk about if I did something like this, we would talk about the conversation. She's gonna ask me all kinds of questions about what the questions were today. Um, she's inquisitive and she genuinely cares. And so am I, I wanna know about the world. So. For me, I talked a lot about my past. She knew the better version of me, the version that had done a lot of work. Um, but I also wanted her to know what existed before so that she knew sometimes how the world viewed me and even how some of my own family members um, viewed me because they had a history. They knew me when I was not so put together. I wasn't the best guy. So we talked about a lot, a lot about that. I did an ethics class, so we talked about ethics and philosophy and politics but more the the human side of politics than the you know hard line just you know what things um politically motivated each of us we talked a little bit about everything and 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 it was funny because we didn't do what you know typically when couples get together they share all the best starts of parts about themselves they put on their best clothes and everything and then so they they, they put the best fronts up we talked about all of our warts and our scars and because it was like we were both older and if it, if this wasn't going to turn into something we didn't want to waste a lot of time in it we didn't want to be hurt um, and in the process of sharing those things that usually would repel somebody it, it made us draw even closer and it was like we seriously there's nothing we don't know about each other and what characteristics of hers stood out to you I'm I'm a pretty smooth guy in some regards. This is probably the least smooth thing I ever told her, but it was true. It was she was none of the things I was looking for in a woman and all of the things that I needed. And so the things that that I found in her that I didn't realize I need is I need somebody that I can genuinely communicate to and and with. I need somebody who's not going to who lets me think out loud because I don't always want to process and have to have the right answer. Sometimes I need to have a conversation with somebody like, even with this situation, I will come out of it having grown and been edified in some way. Um, but you have to have somebody who's brave in those conversations. You have somebody who's, have to have somebody who's willing to be vulnerable, which she's both of those things. She's extremely intelligent. Um, she she wouldn't describe herself that way but she absolutely is and very insightful and i think most of all she's caring she genuinely cares about people which is painful at times you know when you genuinely care about people people are the most amazing and the most disgusting creatures wrapped all into one package 
Um, so when you care, you get hurt. But when you care, you also get rewarded. So I guess the, the biggest things I would say is her bravery and her just inquisitive nature. And when was the first time you had a face-to-face visit with her? We went in phases. So it started out with writing. Um, the longest letter I ever wrote her was 54 pages. And it was typewritten at 140 pitch so I could get as many characters on a line as I possibly could. So it was a long letter. It took a whole weekend to write. So then we had the phone calls for a while, and then we had, I'd say we had our first face-to-face probably after we'd been writing for nine months, after we'd been calling for three or four. Um, And the first time she came up, (laughs) she was still friends with her ex-boyfriend, and her ex-boyfriend helped go up there with her because she hadn't driven that far away from home. So her ex-boyfriend, and then shortly after that, her dad brought her up, and I met her dad early on, which is... That's a whole other story. It's an amazing family. But probably about nine months after we'd, after we'd started writing. And then it's, we're so far away, there's a window. You can't drive up there in late fall to um, early, through early spring. So you've got about a seven or eight month window where there's no visits. And then she could come up approximately every six weeks in between. So we'd get four or five visits packed in in a year. Do you think those like visiting periods were enough time for you guys? There's never enough time, um, but they're also very intense. I remember going back after our 12-hour visits and almost immediately going to sleep. Most people don't have the intensity of relationships that you have in a situation like that because it's the two of you. You're not allowed to talk to anybody else in the visiting room. It's the two of you. And like I said, you're talking about everything. Some of it heavy, some of it lighter. There's an urgency to it because you know you're not going to see them for six more weeks too. For, for many people, it would probably be too much to bear. For us, it was, it, it was just right and it created just enough an opportunity to miss one another. We used to talk on the phone in between. And... You know, we'd talk about how much we, you know, she'd tell me how much she missed me and how much it was hurting at times. And I used to tell her it would concern me more if you didn't miss me, you know. And so it wasn't enough, but big picture, looking at it now, it was the exact amount of time that we needed. So did you like sit together in one room and talk straight for like 12 hours at a time? Depending on where you were at, most of the places you would sit side by side. And you could put an arm around them, but you couldn't rub their arm. You couldn't rub her neck. Um, she couldn't put her hand on my knee. It was, there was this, they've got all these rules in place. Um, you can kiss when they, when they come through the door, and you can kiss goodbye. There's nothing in between. And in some places, they did make us sit across from each other, which was cool in one regard because we could look at each other, but then I can't put my arm around her. You know, so there's, there's, there was different levels to this. We actually were in a, in a visiting room clear up in Munising, which the facility had been built to be a level five. They put us in it to level two, which is supposed to be less restrictive, but it wasn't built for regular visits. So they made us sit across from each other. They wiped down the tables with bleach and hadn't rinsed them afterwards. So we're sitting there with our hands 
and our elbows on the table like this holding each other's hands not realizing the bleach was eating the flesh on our elbows away so we get after, off after like an eight hour visit and both of our elbows are just raw I mean they're just pink the calluses are all gone so yes we would sit there for that whole time and you get one bathroom break so there was literally when I say 12 hours it's 12 hours you might it might take half hour to get them processed in and out to go to the bathroom but it's it's 12 hours um, and then there was not a lot of silence between the two of us because we were all, like I said, we're inquisitive. So there was always, you know, questions. What, what do you think about that? Or we would people watch sometimes in the visit because you'd see people with their kids. And, you know, one of the coolest moments my wife and I were able to share was in a visiting room. And it was and it had nothing to do with the two of us other than the fact that we got to share it. This kid was in the visiting room and he was running around different things and you're not supposed to interact with him. So, but what I did is, is I stuck some peanut M&Ms on the corner of the table and he came over and looked at him and I looked at him like, you know, go ahead and I'll look the other way. And I looked the other way and he went ahead and, and, he, and he grabbed him. So it, the, the kid knew us and knew of us, but he was dancing in the front of the visiting room and the sun was changing angles. And my wife and I watched him discover his shadow for the first time. And it's simple things like that that I think out here in the world, the hustle and bustle, you don't even think about stuff like that. But we saw that, we shared that at that moment in time. And it was a, it was an intimacy that I think a lot of people miss. That's amazing. Um, and between those like visiting times, were you able to consistently like call each other? Yes, um, but again, not as much as we would like because the phone rates fluctuated. There was a period of time when we were calling that it was costing approximately $7 for a 15-minute phone call. Um, and, of course, she has to take on the brunt uh, of that. Um, towards the end of it, they got less expensive. I think they were about 4 for a while, and then they dropped down to $2 and something. And then they allowed us to be able to pay for some of them on our side. So I was able to also pay for some of the phone calls, which made it a little bit um, better. So towards the end, we, we would literally call every day in the morning. We would start our day off together with talking to each other. So 15 minutes would have to hold us over most days. And do you think it was difficult to maintain this relationship when communication was limited? No. I think it is for a lot of people. I don't think it was for us. We had the advantage of this is who we are. We both need to communicate. We both need, we, we both don't communicate to be heard or to, to, to be understood. We communicate to understand the other person. That goes a long way. So I think the limited communication we had actually worked to our advantage. Having to sit down and write and engage in dueling monologues instead of dialogues where one writes and the other one responds or we would have these things crossed in the mail a lot of times where we would both talk about the same subject and it would cross in the mail it was just it was eerie sometimes but there's a level of it a level of intimacy there's the other part about it is is when you have this kind of situation you don't have to get caught up with the physical component of it the physical part of our relationship was off the table. And so we focused on the intimate, the intimacy of, you know, the mind and the spirit. We focused on the other aspects of what it is to be human and didn't get caught up. So I, for us, I don't think it was a, um, any kind of a limitation. It felt like it at times, 
but I think it made us as strong as we are today. Um, I gave her 18 months um, after I got out to um, change her mind before I, I married her because I wanted to make sure that she understood exactly who she had. And I joke with her all the time, now I got papers on you, you can't go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and were there any other difficulties you felt that you had to overcome in the relationship? Not really with us. It's the It was the environment component of it. So there's some tricky parts to navigate about the environment. One of the good things about watching people make a lot of mistakes is you can learn from them and be like, I don't want to do that. And also, I made some mistakes in my relationships and knew I didn't want to do that, and that's what I didn't have. I learned um, from my ex-wife that... I couldn't have a relationship that didn't have communication because we would talk about things and when it get to a certain point, she didn't want to talk about it anymore. If we don't have communication, especially while I was in prison, if we don't have communication, what do we have? So I would say the environment was tricky sometimes. Prison has, prison has a tendency to make people selfish if they weren't before. And a friend of mine recently told me something that made absolute sense. And he said, prison has stuck an ice pick in my hand and everybody that I love is telling me to stop talking about the ice pick a lot of times people will get on the phone and they tell all the worst stuff that's going on in prison because they want family and friends to feel sorry for them a lot of times they want family and friends to help support them to help send you know more money um, to come up and visit more often, to accept more phone calls, whatever the case may be. They're wanting somebody to help them with that ice pick in their hand. But what they're doing is, is they're subjecting their family and friends to things that they didn't have to. So I was very conscious about that. And, and even though I share everything with my wife, I, don't al I didn't always share it with her as it happened. So if there was something, if there was, you know, beef on the yard and there was, you know, tension and violence and things could go sideways, I wouldn't talk about it until after the fact, until well after the fact. So she knew it happened, but she wasn't worrying uh, about the remnants of it. Where I'd hear other people on the phone telling every single thing, and I know there are people who are out there panicking, like, what is he in the middle of? So the environment was the big challenge. Um, us as a whole... No, I don't think there were. Other than the fact that we've all got our scars, we've all got bad relationships, and so every once in a while when something brushes up against that, you know, you kind of respond in a certain way. There was a couple times she was, uh, I say harsh. She was harsh with me, and I could tell that she was trying to protect herself. They, st they took cigarettes in 2009, um, and so we stopped smoking, um, which was a good thing especially since I had hepatitis. I had hepatitis C, and so any toxins I'm putting into my body is basically killing me. And she made a statement at one point in time. Now, at this point in time, I'm deeply in love with her. I know this is my person. There's no question about it. And she said, she said, you know, if you ever started smoking again, I'd leave. And it was like the ice bucket challenge for me or something. I was like, whoa, like that was never even an option. And I don't think it was for her either, but that was her way of, of protecting herself that she was so deep in that she loved me and she couldn't stand the thought of leaving me. And if I did something purposely to possibly shorten my life, 
um, then that would be unacceptable. But we, but again, we talked through it, and I told her how much it hurt. I told her it was an ice pick um, in my hand, and we and we dealt with it. So ours is a, ours is an interesting story. Seamless is the word that we use a lot of times. So we didn't have a lot of the challenges that I've seen a lot of other people have. So would you say that you never doubted the relationship? I would say I never doubted the relationship. I prefaced that with the idea that I doubted myself in the relationship early on because I had doubted my ability to maintain it. I had doubted my, I'm in prison and I'm in prison for a long time. That's painful. One of the things that I told her early on when we met is I said, I'm difficult to love. And, the, and where that came from was is that it seemed like everybody who'd ever loved me would get hurt. And the closer they would get to me, the more painful it became. So then at some point in time, they'd have to push themselves away because then they'd have to think about how far it was until I came home. Matter of fact, even my grandmother, my grandmother was my ride or die uh, for forever. And it even became more difficult for her uh, towards the end when I'd actually turned my life around because she'd always loved me. She'd always cared about me, but she also knew I was a train wreck waiting to happen most of life. So she was ready for it. At some point in time, she saw the changes in me. She saw how my life had changed. She saw how I had changed as a person and brought the best out of myself. That was when my being in prison became difficult because she didn't think I belonged there anymore. And uh, were your families and friends supportive of this relationship? My family, I, I don't, I didn't have a lot of family and friends. I did 27 years, so, and I did 27 years, some of it good, some of it bad. So all of my friends were in prison, and so all of my friends supported it. And I didn't have a lot of friends, but they were really, they were really down. They loved the conversations. Katie would send postings in that I'd put all over my board, and I'd come in and share the quotes and classes and stuff like that. That was always Katie and I were talking about. That's what we talk about. So everybody kind of enjoyed her. Uh, my family was kind of limited. I had some family that didn't associate with me for a while. I don't want to go too far off into that. Let's just say that I didn't leave my criminal ways behind. And when I finally did, it actually created a problem for my family because I told on myself with the last criminal acts that I committed while I was still in prison. And they showed up at my family's house and they don't know the circumstances. All they know is 10 years in, Adam still got the cops coming to our house. So they weren't necessarily in it, but the family members that I did, even though they were a little bit nervous, were supportive. And once they met Katie, I mean, you can't help but love her and you can't help but know that she loves me. Um, so my dad and my grandma were ultimately down. Unfortunately, my dad passed away about a year after he met Katie, but they had a pretty good relationship, and it was cool because they both had these conversations about, I have small circles, I don't usually let people in. So they were letting each other know, you're one of the chosen few. So it was kind of cool. The other part about that that was interesting, though, was her family. And you're talking about, I mean, if I was a father um, and my daughter said, oh yeah, <laughs> I fell in love with this guy who's in prison for bank robbery, and he's got about 12 more years left to do too, I would be like, run, you know? Actually, that's not true. I wouldn't necessarily do that. That would be my first instinct. 
Um, and maybe it was her dad's first instinct, but I don't think so because that's where she gets her inquisitive nature. So he wanted to meet me and he came up and there were times that he would come up without Katie where it would just be him and me or him, um, his wife and I, same thing with her mom. Her mom came up and met me and her mom worries about her on a regular basis. So I know this wasn't easy, but as she got to know me, she knew her daughter was safe with me. And one of the things that I kept on my bulletin board in there was an excerpt at the end of a letter that her mom sent to me. I'm gonna paraphrase and it basically said, one of the things I've always concerned about is when I pass, that Katie will be alone. I know she won't be alone and I know she'll be taken care of. And this is while I was still incarcerated. So her family was um, very important to me. And it goes back to the question where you were asking about you know, some of the difficulties. And we had to borrow each other's eyes for a while. When I didn't feel like I was necessarily up to the relationship, when I wasn't sure that, that I thought she deserved better than me, I had to borrow her eyes. And if she was the coolest person I'd ever met, like I thought she was, then I had to trust her judgment. And if she thought I was pretty cool, that had to work. Same thing with her. I, we had a conversation on the phone one day and she was talking, you know, really bad and about, about herself. And I stopped her and I said, hold on a minute. I said, I wouldn't let anybody else talk about you like that. What makes you think I'm gonna let you talk about you like that? You know? And that's kind of one of the things that was really cool between us is because we could suspend belief for a minute until we finally came on board and we realized, you know, that this is really as special as it was. And I tell her to this day, I still don't deserve her, but I don't know if anybody actually deserves what we have. What it does is, is it motivates you every single day to be the best person you can possibly be. So I may not deserve you today, but I work all day long to make sure I deserved you for today and I have to do it again tomorrow. You know, and I genuinely feel that way about her because she's, she's amazing. And was this kind of relationship like common in prison where there was like someone from the outside talking to someone on the inside? Far more common than you would think. They're not nearly as su successful <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm talking about because a lot of them are motivated by the wrong things. I mentioned my ex-wife and I don't want to go too far into that, but to give you an idea of how twisted relationships can get. I mean, think about this. You're in, a, you're in an environment where it's all men, especially if you're doing a long period of time. Of course, you crave some things that only women can get. And we're not just talking about physical. We're talking about, you know, women have a different energy. They have a different caring. They, you know, it makes you feel better about yourself. We all started with our mothers. Um, so everybody craves that. Well, most everybody craves that. My first marriage, I didn't even really propose. Things got confused, and I never thought anybody would want to marry me. I never thought anybody would, would want me. So when she took it as a proposal, I was like, okay. You know, and we went ahead and got married because a lot of the relationships are relationships of convenience. They want someone, and that's a natural instinct. But one of the things that you realize once you have the one is those two things don't exist in the same realm. Someone and the one are two completely different. I've had plenty of someones um, and they were not, 
nearly they're junk food you know you eat and you're hungry five minutes later when you have the one you know your love and your life is satiating you know i i miss her within hours of leaving you know it's kind of cool that 14 years later i still miss her so yes relationships are common no this kind of relationship isn't but i don't think this kind of relationship is common out here either so when did you decide when did you decide that it was right to get married to katie um, I wanted to marry her for the longest time, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to hold her down in any way, especially while we were in prison. I didn't want her to feel like she had to stay. It didn't take long after I got out that I knew how compatible we are. Were she needed to see it. She needed to see how that you know manifested itself over a period of time. I was pretty sure within that first year. I've been in love before. I've been in love multiple times before. I've never been in like before. Um, and I think that's hugely important in a marriage because I love her and I like her. And there's been plenty of, plenty of women that I've been in relationships that I loved and I didn't like them very much. I don't think they liked me very much either. So it was very early on that, and I told her before we even kind of solidified what our relationship was, I said, I don't know what this is or where it's supposed to be. I just know that I don't ever want to have another day where you're not a, a part of my life. Because she's my best friend. As cliche as it sounds, she's my best friend. I mean, don't get me wrong, I got a male best friend. That's a little bit different. But she's the person I sit, I can talk to about anything. I don't ever have to worry about whether my... I get my words twisted, anything like that. She understands me. Even even if I do trip up and say something stupid, she'll at least give me the opportunity to explain it. It was it was quick. I I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, and I still do. And um, how was your wedding? <laughs> All right. So that's the other thing too. When you when it's a little bit when you're a little bit older. You do things different. Um, you know, there was no, we're going to Vegas or we're putting $12,000 in or we're renting this hall. Um, first off, I don't have that kind of money. I'm still trying to catch up from all those years that I was incarcerated. But also, I didn't want to offend anybody. So I decided that I was going to equally offend everybody. And so the only people who got to attend my uh, our wedding were our mothers. So it was me, my wife, um, and her mom and my mom in our backyard. We've got a nice apartment with a nice backyard to go straight out to the woods. Um, our, our patio is really nice. A friend of mine from work, a friend of ours um, from where I was working, performed the ceremony, Shannon. And it was just, it was us. It was a little bit goofy. It was, it was just enough wind that trying to use my grandmother's matches that were probably 40 years old. Nothing wanted to stay lit. Um, I'm cheap, so I, I, I don't get like Spotify or anything without the commercials. I have the commercials, so I went to play the post-wedding music, and what's the first thing that came on? Commercial. So it was kind of typical for us, but that was the thing that was you know beautiful about it. We got to share it with our mothers, and my mom and I didn't talk for... 16, 17 years. So that was amazing, too, to be able to share that with her. 
So the wedding was pretty awesome. We went to Bob Evans afterwards or something like that. Um, and of course, Shannon embarrassed us because she told everybody in Bob Evans that we just got married. And if you know Katie, that's not, she is not a public person. So, but we got a round of applause. And so it was nice. Our, uh, our, our anniversary was pretty awesome too. We went to a place down in Marblehead, Ohio this last year. And we were on the top floor of this resort type place. And it was the week after, what is it, Labor Day or is it Labor Day in, in, or is it Memorial Day? I always get those confused. I have no idea. Anyway, it was one of those. It was a week afterwards. So the place was like empty. So we've got this whole bay, this whole resort basically to ourselves. We're on the top floor. We'd go out and have coffee in the morning and eagles were flying by right in front of us. And it was just... It was it was amazing, and again, I got to I got to spend it with her and share it with her. That's one of the things that people take for granted is the things that they get to share, the moments they get to share, um, and everything that happened during those last eleven plus years in prison. Everything that was good, I always couldn't wait until the morning when I'd get on the phone and be able to share it with her. And so the immediacy of being able to share those things with her now. Um, is probably one of the best, you know, parts of our relationship. Mrs. Grant was invited to this interview, but was unable to attend due to other circumstances. However, she asked Mr. Grant to bring both Zach and I keychains and dozens of stickers, each bearing positive messages. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny compared to what lies within us, one reads. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've done, another says. In our final episode with Mr. Grant, we will get to share what we have learned about his organization, A Brighter Way, and its impact in our society. Please stay tuned, and as always, thank you so much for your support.